I am featured on an amazing summit called the Intrabiz Summit alongside Dr. John D. Martini, Sharon Lecter, Evan Carmichael, Rob Moore, Les Brown, Brian Tracy, 30 of the world's leading industry authorities over a three-day period, November 25th to November 27th. And it's all going to be about how to rise to thrive going into 2021. So looking forward to seeing that. It's free to join. If you want to pre-purchase some of the audio recordings, use the promo code INTROAS10, INTROAS10, and uh, We'll see you on the Interbase Summit. Take care. Bye-bye. This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Game Changers Experience podcast with myself, Adam Strong. And today, I am with the amazing Andrew Priestley. Now, Andrew, how do I know who Andrew is? Well, Andrew, I've probably known Andrew for probably the best part of around seven or eight years. He's from Australia, but living in the UK, which we'll talk about a little bit in a bit. He's a multi-award winning business coach, but also interestingly enough, talks a lot about leadership and uh, coaches a lot of entrepreneurial based businesses into leadership and, and mentors, a lot of stuff in that. He's a five times, he's got five books out as well. He's got five different books out. I think two of them came out this year, which we'll talk about as well in the rent, uh, one of the top 100 UK entrepreneurial mentors as well. He's a chairman of a charity called Clear Sky. It's a children's charity. He's got 21 years of experience. That's hands-on experience in dealing with businesses and stuff like that. Listen, Andrew, I just want to say welcome to the show. Wow, that, that's a tough intro to beat, isn't it? That's really good. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. It's cool, man. So yeah. interestingly enough, I remember actually seven or eight years ago when we first met, and interestingly enough, we met through through a course, um, you know, that your son uh, is part of, and and you were one of the mentors and coaches, and I remember when uh, when you go in and work with with a group of us and 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 what i love about you is that you just come in with a slightly different angle i suppose you you really disrupt the mind thoughts and the mind patterns more than anything else would you agree i think it's not aiming to be disruptive but it's aiming to be clear so mm. you know i mean back when you were saying when we met which is about eight easily eight years ago about mm. 2012 2011 2012 mm. slightly before that 2007 we had the start of the global financial crisis right mm-hmm. and um, it's worth it, it it bears saying that i was involved with a couple of banks major banks and also government bodies uh, and i was actually doing something with the lord mayor's department at the time for for startups right mm-hmm. And, and the, the, the statistic there was that successful businesses have a business plan. Right? <laughs> and the stats back then were 81% of businesses that start up fail in the first one to three years, right? Mm. And that hasn't changed. No. Right? It's still the same. This is what blows me away, right? And then they also came out with this research. Bank said, well, you'll love the numbers on this, right? 54% of those who have a business plan fail. <laughs> so... We were looking at these numbers and I was hanging around with a couple of VCs at the time and over about a two-year period, we were putting together this this um, this course 
startups, if you like, uh, like an incubator for, for startups. And the question we're asking is, if having a business plan works, then why do so many, why do so many businesses with a business plan fail, right? Mm, mm. And and if you've watched something like Dragon's Den, for example, they will, somebody, the, the person will come into the Dragon's Den and they'll say, this is my business and I'll try and pitch it. And the the, the, the entertainment is, do they, do they walk away with the money or not? But when I first saw that show, I thought, it's not that impressive because they're just asking executive summary questions which are out of a business plan, right? Mm -hmm. And I've been looking at hundreds of business plans and same with VCs. And when I look at a business plan, I go almost like really quickly, no, no, no. And we started kicking this conversation around. What is it we're looking for when we look at a business plan? Mm -hmm. And it came down to this. We're stress testing the assumptions in the business Mm -hmm. case, right? And the reason why so many businesses fail is because they've got a good idea for a business, right? But they haven't got a good business for the idea, right? So with that in mind, in 2009, I started writing a book called Starting and it says, you know, you might have a good idea for a business, but have you got a good business for the idea? Mm. And we identified eight things, eight questions that VCs ask all the time. And my, my question to business owners is you're an investor in your business, right? So shouldn't you be asking the same questions? So it started life, I know this is a long answer to a very short question, but it started life as a program called Success in 80 Days. And we felt it took 80 to 90 days to stress test all the assumptions in a business. Mm -hmm. And it was an amazing tool and no one bought it. Why? You know when you know when you've got this amazing tool but nobody buys it, right? Right. And and uh, Dan was saying, oh, it's not marketed correctly and all this sort of stuff. But it came down to this. You know, I even did expressions of interest marketing, and that was really strong, right? And it was priced well for a business, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody wanted to spend ninety days on it. And there's this thing, as it was then, as it is now, they rush into it, right? So somebody said to me, "Can we do it in ninety minutes?" And I said, "That's a challenge." So the workshop that I put together in this can be done in 90 minutes if you want to. If you, I put every single question that I would ask, there's nothing held back, right, in this book. So in 90 minutes, if you just follow it and work through question by question, and there's eight big questions that VCs ask, and underpinning all of that is, do I get it? Do I get this? So do I get the idea of the business? Do I get who this is for, you know, who this target client is? Mm. Do I get what team you need? Do I get how you're going to go to market with this? Mm. Do I get what you're selling and what the price points are? Do, I, do the numbers make sense? Do I get the business model and do I get the systems? But importantly, do I get why you're doing it? So out of that, we I then went off into doing business strategies and the 90-minute business strategy. And it is what it is. It just gives you a, a standalone experience of, okay, now I get my business. I get strategically what's happening in the business. And I've stress tested and I've got a structure and a method for stress testing the assumptions that underpin it. Now, there's a lot of assumptions, but I've picked out the, the, the eight or nine really. One of the assumptions is that you're, doing, you're starting the business for the right reason. Yeah. Right. We'll come back to that because I've got a really yeah. fascinating question around stress testing. Sure. But I know that, I know that you, you grew up in Brisbane, Queensland, Brisbane, and you started off in teaching. That was where you started off. But I guess my my first major question really is how did you transition from teaching into entrepreneurship? Because it's quite they're very two massive different industries, yeah. I guess, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And 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 look, you know, when somebody starts a business, entrepreneurs really are doing one of three things. You're looking for a gap in the market, you're looking for an emerging trend, or you're looking for an emerging industry, right? Right. But what underpins it, what gets missed out in that equation is usually you're transferring 
skills, knowledge, qualifications or experiences that you've already had into something different. So teaching has a subset of skills and, and, uh, and a way of thinking that transferred wonderfully across to business, right? Mm. Or so I thought. So when I was at uni, my first, when I did my degree, my teaching degree, I did it in reading psychology and I got involved with a student newspaper. Actually started it and ink got in my veins and away we went. And I was surfing and I was playing in a band and I started a surfing newspaper and I started a music paper. And I taught for 10 years, racked up long service. And I thought, I'm going to take three months off. And I'm going to do this entertainment newspaper full on. And I was actually in competition with Rupert Murdoch. Okay. Was this a paid thing or was this, that, right? or was it free or was it paid? Well, I started the business. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, it was a free paper, but it was advertising, funded by advertising revenues, ah, right? Okay. Mm. And it was the hospitality industry, right? And Rupert Murdoch had the Courier Mail and he had a, a lifestyle, uh, like a, a, almost like a rock and roll newspaper type thing, right? Mm. But mine was a lifestyle paper, right? Mm. And so basically I transferred that experience of working on, on the newspaper at university mm. and then putting out a surfing newspaper and that. So I was doing that as a side hustle while I was teaching. And when I went on long service, I said, I'm going to go full-time. Stupidly, I resigned <laughs> because that business nearly killed me. Yeah. You know, and, you know, this is why it's really important to why did you start the business? Why are you starting this business? Because I thought, oh, yeah, it's going to do it, deliver all these things. The irony is it was a lifestyle newspaper and I was working 12 to 14 hour days, seven days a week. And it, it was a lifestyle newspaper. It didn't give me a lifestyle. So I sort of had this moment where I came to this crossroads. It was making a ton of money, by the way, right? Mm, mm. But I had no lifestyle. So it was that crossroad moment of money money and values, right? So again, you, nothing's wasted. I actually shut that business down in the end because it was just, it just exhausted me, right? Mm. And then I said, okay, what have I learned from that? What was the gift of that business? And nothing's wasted because I've taken all of that knowledge into other things, yeah. Mm. Great That's how I did it. It's a good one. And I like that. <laughs> I love the a good old story anyway. But I know that, you know, you emigrated from Australia to the UK. And yeah. I also know between your daughter and your son, you know, who are entrepreneurs in their own right, they built great businesses. And do you yeah. feel that, you know, I know that when you did emigrate to the UK, for example, um, who was it that kind of facilitated the move? Was it you? Was it Dan? Was it Justin? Who was it? I was just, I, I had well, to ask question well they're unconnected for a startup right? okay. because because dan had again business context i mean dan's remarkable because i think at 21 he'd already he'd, his business was always doing about almost doing about 10 mil right mm. and australia as a marketplace was just too small right and and a friend of his said why don't you come to london because you've got all of australia's marketplace and some in one town and people say oh it's really tough out there if you are in london there's more than enough business in London or Manchester or Liverpool or Birmingham to keep you going a lifetime, right? So don't tell me there's no business there, right? There is. It's just a ton of business, right? Um, there's a lot of money. People say, oh, there's no money. No, there's lots of money, right? Um, so he came over and about 2006, right? And then I uh, took a sabbatical in 2008 and Justine had come over as well because, you know, all Aussies want to leave the prison, and, and come back to, you know, the, the, the old dart and see what life's like here, you know. We escape the island. You know, I'm on an island, get me off, you know, off the island. From one island to another. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, I mean, it's that, it, you know, we've grown up with a legacy of you've got to go to England. England's a mother country. That's where you've got to go. So Justina came here and then I came over on a sabbatical. And I've got a British passport, so citizenship wasn't a problem. Mm. And 
I loved it here. I absolutely loved everything about it. I mean, the UK is a an amazing place. And, you know, going into Brexit, I, I just want to urge you, you know, that it's there have been bigger and tougher things that have tried to break the Brits than Brexit. Okay, you got to you got to go back to the history of this country. It's a real can-do country, believe it or not. You, you, I, but the only thing is, Brits wait until it gets right up to the knife edge before they say, <laughs> "Now let's let's go into a few jars about this, and then we'll then we'll do something." But it's a bit but, like playing cat and mouse, really, isn't it? Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. But Brits, the the, the Brits have got a fighting spirit, which you know is amazing. You got it's a great pedigree. The fighting spirit of the Brits is incredible. You know. Well, I hope uh, some of our listeners that are listening in from Asia and, and Australasia and stuff like that, I hope kind of you might think of us Brits as kind of potential joint venture collaborators. Oh, without a doubt. Partners, you know, so that's all good. Yeah, without a doubt. That's a great shout, actually. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of, because um, I know that you do a lot of stuff in the leadership realm and you've got a, a wealth of experience in that. What do you yeah. think, especially in times like this, but where do you think a lot of CEOs and entrepreneurs go wrong when it comes to leadership? God, that is a huge, no pressure. <laughs> put you, I'll put you on the spot. I mean, yeah. it's like kind of Larry King, but we just have fun and have conversations, right? Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you again, context. Mm. When I left teaching, I started this paper, right? Mm. And the paper, I had this crossroads moment where I shut it down. right? Mm. And what I did was I started a family friendly business. So it meant I could take my kids to school. I could pick them up. I could go and play sport with them. I could go and do canteen duty. I could take them on holidays and not second guess what I should be doing, right? So I started this agency. And again, I'm building on a skill set of reading psychology, went into copywriting. And so I started as an ad agency. What came out of that was a marketing business. So there's no point doing an ad if you don't know what the marketing strategy is, right? Right. And then out of that, what's the point of the marketing if you don't know the business strategy? So that, that sort of a growth if you like, I was pivoting through those gear changes, if you like. So pivot is um, is you take a skill you've got, but you take it off in a new direction. So mm-hmm. it, it went from publishing to advertising to a marketing agency to a uh, to a strategic business. Yeah. And then people were saying, you know, we won all these awards and people were saying, how do you do this? Mm-hmm. How did you do this? Right. And mm-hmm. a mate of mine said, I think you'd make a good business coach. And I said, what's that? And he said, well, it's what you do right now, except you get paid for it. <laughs> But what came out of that was I started working with, and I'll talk English money, 70% of businesses in the UK have revenues less than 300,000. 20% of UK businesses have revenues between 300,000 and 2 mil. And in terms of employment, under 300,000, you're employing somewhere between 1.7 and 2.4 staff members. So it's yourself and maybe a part-timer. But when you get to about 300,000, you start to, you employ somewhere between three to 20 employees, right? So, so the revenue per person is like a hundred grand. So it's a good metric for most businesses, right? If you, if your revenues are greater than 300,000, right? You're looking at about a hundred grand revenue per person. So I'm working with a law firm that does 1.2 million turnover, 12 staff, great business. And I'm working with a, 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 an accounting firm that has 11 staff and does 300,000 turnover. So it's not even, you know, their, their revenue per person is not even close actually to the living wage in the UK, which is 30.4 thousand, right? Yeah. So the leadership question, let's come back to that. There's two parts to this. So there's a point when you're running a business where you've got the bandwidth for running a business and, and doing the operational up to about six employees. And it's up to six, you can do your own work and you can supervise what your team are doing, right? Agreed. 
When you get about the seventh person, there's a mindset shift and it really, really amplifies around the 12th person, right? As soon as you employ the 13th person, as Dan likes to say, you know, uh, Jesus, when the, the Jesus Inc. was great at 12, as soon as they put the 13th guy on, it went all pear-shaped, right? <laughs> Look what happened, right? But, um, but there's something mentally, it's not money, it's an emotional thing that happens around about the sixth or seventh employee because, because where you could all muck in, as a business owner, you can't do that over about seven. You don't have the mental bandwidth for it, right? So there's this gear change from managing and doing operational stuff where you then have to become more strategic, mm. right? Which means you've got to step back. Now, a lot of people don't want to step back from doing something they love doing, right? And they're frightened to do that. So a lot of people have that problem around around probably about the, the six, seven employee bit. At that point, they start, that's when they start asking me to get involved and they start reading leadership books. And firstly, they're reading a lot of management books, then they start looking at leadership books because mm-hmm. the gear changes from operational thinking to strategic thinking. So where they go wrong, firstly, is they hang on to the operational far too long. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, a big thing is you know, there's four things that underpin any business. And that is sales and marketing, or marketing and sales, sorry, yep. your management admin, your operations, and your financial control. And when, as a business coach, I look at what's going on in those four key aspects of the mm-hmm. business, right? Sure. And particularly our HR, HR is part of the management admin and, and things like your logistics and IT is part of operations and that. But a big part of operations is systemizing. So again... A lot of leaders don't have anything systemized. If, they, if they've got recurring linear business systems, none of that's documented. So they've got to hold it in their head. So a lot of leaders don't have the bandwidth to lead because it's the nothing. A, they haven't thought, well, to grow this, I've got to systemize it. And Dan talks about out of your systems come your assets. And then you really can scale. You can then grow it and you can pivot and grow and scale and you go in divisions, things like that. Uh, it really comes in when you get to about 12 employees. That's when leadership really kicks off. A, you can afford a coach. And there's a lot of coaches out there who are who don't understand what I'm telling you right now. Right? They don't get this. And they've never run a business. They've never employed people. They've read a lot of books, but they haven't actually had to come up with 35 grand a, a month payroll, for example. Right? So there's all of those issues around it. But for me, that's the first part. It's that gear change from operational to Transition. strategic, and it's a reluctance to let go of the operations and do what's required strategically, which is to create systems. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you two points here. It's a lot. Of, it's it's a big answer, but most leaders, if you're in a leadership role, there's really five things I'm looking at when I'm coaching executives, when I'm coaching leaders. Number one, if you're the CEO, and you mentioned CEOs, the, the remit for a CEO is number one, strategic direction. We know where we're going. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the operational stuff is a different thing, but I, I am telling you where we're going with this strategic direction. That's the first one. Second one is business performance. Yep. So they've got to know the metrics. They've got to know what does good look like and how do we measure that? Mm-hmm. Right. So the third one is operational excellence. So if you want to grow anything, you've got to be able to demonstrate operational excellence. The fourth one is, an, is a high performing team. And the last one is impeccable communication. And so when I'm coaching CEOs, I'm coaching across those five dynamics because they're really pragmatic and they're very practical. And I can go hunting in each of those five areas for where we, where we need to pick up skill or we need to change behaviours or we might need to change their beliefs mm. or we might have to have an identity change. So I've gone from being 
an operational manager to a leader. So if I say, are you a leader? Yeah, how many staff you got? I've got a client who has 53 staff. Are you a leader? Oh, no. <laughs> uh, so the identity of a leader is not there, right? So we've got, sometimes I've got to change the identity. Mm. And something that really changes is a real gear change for any business is probably the last area where we change the intention of the business. So a big aspect of my business is a charitable function to it. It's a contribution arm to the business, right? right. So if you're doing good, do if you do well, do good. You know, so so businesses that have that that higher intention, that you know that why that you know that shapes their identity of the business and the leaders. It shapes their beliefs. What do we believe we can and can't do? Mm-hmm. It 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 informs and shapes the skills that they should adopt which then informs and shapes the behaviours and then that then uh, influences what shows up. Very cool. Yeah, uh, you might uh, have to watch this back a few times. And make notes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I was literally... As much value as I can, you know. I, I was literally just making notes because what I do is when, 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 when we have fun and have conversations, yeah. me, I become a student, you know, <laughs> yeah. and the same with everyone that's, that, that is listening in right yeah. now. If you're not, if you don't have a pen and a paper handy, guys, you need yeah. to make sure you pause this right now and take notes because uh, what you get yeah. from this podcast is not like any other podcast. It's completely unique. We bring people like Andrew, who's the elite <coughs> of the elite. So anyway, moving on to it's the It's like next- you, mate. You know where to look. Yeah. You, you'll have a form for what works. When you work with someone, I'm sure you've got a format that you follow that based on your knowledge and experience. All my stuff is based on the fact that I, I lost two businesses. And one I shut down, right? So I've yeah. learned a lot from that. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's interesting because we all have our own different journeys and our different stories yeah. and what we learn from that, which is um, really yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Interesting question, actually. But, you know, working in uh, the times that we are right now, which is um, people are working more in the what I call the digital world right now, you know, because people yeah. work from home or what, whatever it might be. What do you think that people need to do, entrepreneurs and business owners, what do you think they need to do right now in terms of focal point or focus to create more of a successful digital business compared to what we did pre kind of 220? You know, again, these are great questions, but it's like you're opening a tin of worms. But I mean, (laughs) for me, me, you've got shiny object syndrome, which is, oh, I'll go this, this, right? Mm. For me, I just use LinkedIn. That's it, right? That's all I use. And and I'm not, I'm really bad at it, but I get a lot of business through LinkedIn, right? Mm. Because it's not the tool, it's the way I show up on LinkedIn. Right. Right. Um, I have a friend of mine who, uh, she's a hairdresser. And she's built a business that does 1.2 million turnover for a hairdressing salon in one of the most depressed parts of the UK. Wow. And people say, how did you do that? She says, I just use Instagram to find local my, the, my local target client. So it's not like she's using a lot of tools. Obviously, the customer experience in the salon is impeccable, right? Mm. So they based it around an avatar, a target client and, and what that client would expect. But the sourcing of those clients, you know, is a digital thing. It's an Instagram thing. It's driven by by Instagram, right? Nothing else but that. Sure. Right? I think to say, oh, we're in a digital thing at the moment. No, we're in a digital thing full stop, right? Well, that's where it's going. Think of it like this. Between 2009 and 2019, and I wish I had come up with this results, but this is what, this is what I'm told. Between 2009 and 2019, we had a 15% growth in e-commerce across those 10 years, right? Mm. In quarter one of this year, we've had a 15% increase in three months, mm-hmm. right? 
so most people are going through this thing. I don't even need to be in a geographical place anymore. Let's just let's just do everything online, right? Yeah. I would say this though, and I'd I'd make this a big point. Again, I'm a scientist, Adam. I mean, uh, you know, I did a psych degree, and and they didn't give it away, right? And so you know, my and I love doing the psych degree, and it was a heavy science thing. So you look at things like critical thinking, and and a big part of it is context and pedigree. Where does stuff come from? And think of it like this, the world changed in 2004. And you know what happened in 2004, don't you? 2004, Remi- no, 2004, that was 2008 financial crisis. Well, we, we kind of changed into the new transition, didn't we? Uh, we went we from- certainly, cha- this world certainly changed in 2004. <laughs> we, didn't we go from, it wasn't in the in industrial age, we went into more no. of the, trying to think, no, remind no, me, come on. I'll make it easy for you, Facebook. Facebook, of course. Right, that's when Zuckerberg launched Facebook, right? Yeah. And when, if you take it from 1904 to 2004, the way of doing business was very transactional. Mm. In 2004, Zuckerberg made it relational. So words like no like trust came in, right? Mm. You couldn't join Facebook in the original format unless you're in that alumni. You had to be invited in by someone who knew you. So it made it very relational. And big trends like that take about 20 years before we understand what that means. So we still haven't done 20-year cycle with Facebook yet, right? right? Um, Facebook is shooting itself in the foot. They've lost the plot a little bit because it's more like a shopping channel now. Mm. Right? Most social media... To me, from my perspective, having come through newspapers, is we've just transferred what we were doing in magazines and print and radio and TV across to digital. And it's everything is now, a, you know, if I said you've got to sit there and watch the, the shopping channel, and you go crazy. And yet that's what most of it is, right? Yeah. But the stuff that works, personal narrative started to take off. And we and things like, even though Joseph Campbell did the hero's journey in the 1980s, right? The relevance of that 20 years so subtly made sense in 2004 because it's about a relationship. It's about collaboration and it's about, you know, who are you when you show up? Things like that. Simon Sinek's book, you know, Start With Why, now makes a lot more sense because I want to know who you are, right? Yeah. So with 2004 became very, very relational, right? Um, it's learning those uh, relational tools. Social selling is like having a foot in each camp. I want to be transactional and I want to relate. Well, we're, we're moving into this relational thing, right? Mm. Over COVID, however you're showing up online being digital, right, gets amplified. So if you're an idiot, that's what that's because people are focusing on this thing so much, that's going to get in. And you and I both know people in this town, right, who have not done the gear change and they're still showing up like they would do as if they were on stage selling to an auditorium. And it comes across as it's like five on the creepy scale. You know what I mean? It's like, ah, so we're wanting, so you can get away with things like this now. And whereas we all had to have suits, people gone more relaxed. Right. But it's, it's in keeping with who are you relationally. Now, if we take that across the brand, you know, what do we stand for? What are the values that we stand for? How do we communicate those things? Mm-hmm. And so we tend to want to do business with people who are delivering value, for example, in your case, right? Where you go, shoot, Adam's a great source. He has amazing guests. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I didn't pay him to say that, by the way. I just want to say that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, but you come to think, oh yeah, Adam has the caliber of guests that it's consistent, but it's also a very relational way that, that you've got the chat going, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree. A hundred percent. And I also agree the whole kind of relational thing. I, I, can, I can completely 
relate to that myself, you know, uh, especially, you know, in the new kind of 2020, moving into 2021, because this is going to continue, yeah. this trend oh, is going to continue. Um, more than yeah. anything else. So I, I would say to, to answer your question, get help, right? With the digital thing, get help. Get, mm. get Go to people who you, there's three people, three ways you can assess who you want to work with, right? This way, this this has been helpful for me right through my whole career. Number yeah. one, they're qualified. So don't get advice for someone who doesn't have qualifications for a mm. startup, right? If you were doing talking to a lawyer and I've been talking to lawyers, right? You want to talk to someone who's qualified. Secondly, they're qualified in the area of expertise that you need them to be qualified in, right? Um, secondly, they've had experience yeah. in that area, right? Yeah. And this is the most important one. You feel comfortable with them. Mm. I, I agree. And, and, you know, do your due diligence more than anything else because yeah. yeah. there's nothing more uh, heartbreaking than having conversations. And you've probably had these conversations with people that really want to work with you or vice versa, but there's, the resources yeah. are exhausted because they've made some mistakes down the road. Yeah, and there's a lot of people out there saying, for example, uh, there's a, what I call a lot of fast track side door offers out there at the moment, right? You know, <laughs> become a become a top speaker in you know don't do a don't do a pedigree, uh, don't do an apprenticeship, just come in the side door and we'll put you in front of you know stuff like that, or you know become a fast track author or blah blah blah. No, there's no substance to it, and 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 that's the problem that people don't realize right now. That's what's getting amplified right, right at the moment with this digital thing, particularly on, you know, the zoom era, you know, online courses, build an online course, build a sales oh, yeah, funnel. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. it, it's kind of, it does yeah. kind of really get my back up because, you know, at the end of the day, as human beings, and you probably would have, uh, you probably will agree with me on this is that we're always looking for instant gratification. Yeah, but yeah. the reality is, is that, there's no such thing as that. You've got to, it takes time to learn no, skills no, like this. No, no. And, and, you know, one of the things that, you know, every program I've done and every, like we were talking about Dan before, you know, mm. if we could, if we could give you a lobotomy and insert the information, we'd, we'd be selling lobotomies. Right. Exactly. But it doesn't work like that. It's, it's, you've, you've got to, it's like, we promise you something when, it, when, when I work with, uh, with my executive clients, right. I promise them that you're going to be a lot better at leading your business. Right. But what are they promising me in return? And I get that clearer. What, I'm going to do this for you, but what are you going to do for me? Because mm. you've got to show up. You've got to do the work, mm. right? You've got to be accessible. You've got to, you've got to lean in and demonstrate you're using mm. these tools because there's nothing worse than people buying lots of courses and they go, oh, oh I started did two lessons. Oh, another one's come along and another one and another mm. one. They're just not putting the work in. So no, I, I hate I to say it, we're, we're coming back into an area of hard work. Do your apprenticeship, do your hard work. Mm. Keep earning I, your I, I absolutely agree. And, and, you know, if you're one of those people that have like bought courses or invested in this and whatever it is, <clears throat> and you're just sitting on the sidelines and not actually taking action, you've got to think to yourself, yeah. go back to the reasons why you've enrolled on that course or whatever it is, because otherwise you're just going to go you're just going to become a sponge and you know what sponges do they just absorb and they don't do nothing yeah and then they um, become waterlogged and they <laughs> i love that they become waterlogged i love it very cool and they now, start smelling and you have to throw uh, them out oh uh, we don't want that no we don't we definitely don't want that anyway yeah. so i know this year you wrote a book called remote working yep. uh, and you and there were some co-authors in there which contributed towards the yep. book and whatever it is now Obviously, remote working has its, uh, I suppose it has its upsides and it has its downsides, doesn't it, Andrew? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. What do you think from a leadership perspective, and we're talking about leadership styles here that we need to <laughs> adopt in order to encourage and empower our teams so that we can become more of a productive and efficient uh, business? 
Yeah, well, again, great question. Really, really good question. Um, remote working has shown us that people want to work remotely, mm. right? So what's happening? We're going through a little bit of a gear change where do I get paid for attendance or do I get paid mm. for performance? So mm. performance-based employment is going to really, really come into its own, right? Mm -hmm. I don't care whether you get start at 10 in the morning and finish at 2, just did you do what would you agreed you would do in that time? Mm. So, mm. so, And also, too, working from home, particularly if you've got small children, You've got to juggle, how can I still be productive, but also juggle a family? So there's a lot mm. of people who love the fact that they can be with their kids and things like that, right? The downside is that you miss that social interaction that, that this, we can do it on this, but nothing, you can't be actually physically being in the same space with someone, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a lot of people who are having, realizing they're having withdrawal symptoms from that personal face-to-face -face culture, mm, right? Mm, mm, mm. But, um, but as a team leader running remote teams, and I've got a client who runs 90 people remotely in different, not only different locations, but different jurisdictions. So, wow. But they've done things like they've created uh, a whole cultural way of doing stuff like huddles and, um, and special events and, and, you know, fun trainings and things like that. So, mm. you know, you mentioned my daughter, but my, my daughter does things like in-house videos mm. and they're really good relational pieces just for the team. Yeah. Um, I know I, I, I did the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest bees whisker work with Emirates. And it's nothing to brag about what see how, how they operate. Right. And one of the things that they were doing when I was, uh, you know, just, just peeking around the, the corner of Emirates, right. Was they have amazing communication via video to, you know, they were doing this back in 2005, 2007, unbelievably good communication with their cabin crew, for example, where you know huddles and 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 groups and breakouts and stuff like that they were doing that back then right wow so i think you've got to sort of look at again that relational thing mm. comes into it how do what how do i want to be with my guys how do i want to relate to them right and again if you're being an idiot that's what's going to show up on on um it's going to get amplified uh this is a book i wrote very very quickly there was just three books i got to market really really super quickly one was remote working one was leadership for for a pandemic which has sold a lot of books, but this one is, is, is this about me or you? And it's how to listen to someone who's upset. And right now, you know, furloughs and being at home and not doing this and that, there's a lot of conflict circling around different employment places at the moment. So this book was just how do you listen to someone who's upset? This is a book I wrote for my exec clients who are dealing with people with a lot of conflict all the time. And then you talked about the multi-author book. So Pivot and Grow, for example, is an example of a multi-author book, mm -hmm. right? So these are, if you like, uh, how many have we got? 21 experts who really understand how to pivot a business and grow a business. So the model here is I said, okay, write an article for me and we'll put it into one place. So that came out last month. And again, it's, it's one of those books where you go, there's some, because it's changing, we'll do Pivot and Grow too, because that's going to change in probably six months time. So we'll Absolutely. do another copy of that. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Very yeah. good. Yeah. So I know we come towards me shamelessly plugging books. <laughs> we're allowed. I will allow you. Uh, by the way, I just wanted to are let you, you know. My book? Are you Are you typing my book? I'm looking at you. I'm using my book. <laughs> by the way guys i was going to say yeah we, we we kind of like we allow some of the speakers to what i call shamelessly plug themselves we will we will allow that but if you if there are any complaints please direct them to andrew preethi andrew yeah send them to me, send them to me. <laughs> buy the book and you can complain all you like, like yeah exactly it's all on, good something's crashed oh no 
That's okay, right. <laughs> so yeah. going back to the question around the whole kind of business plan thing, yeah. and yeah. this is actually just a real quick question because I'm conscious of time, yeah. was does a business plan work and do you recommend having a business plan in this day and age? Yes, yes, without okay. a doubt. Without right. a doubt. Don't do the business plan last, do the business plan first. But stress test the assumptions in the business first before you write the business plan because a business plan is linear. Right, where I'm talking about VCs look at a business holistically, right? And they look for connections and relationships mm. thing. And it's mm. very hard to do that in a business plan. And a business plan really is to either raise finance, right? Or you want to make changes in your business. But I would, and I'm going to emphasize this, probably the best business planning tool on the planet is the Prince's Trust. If you navigate to the mm. Prince's Trust, Prince Charles deserves so many accolades for the contribution he's made to this country in terms of fostering young talent and entrepreneurs, right? Yeah. An amazing, an amazing legacy that he's created there through the Prince's Trust. But he, he insisted that the business planning tool would be something that could, people could understand. And there's it, about a reading age of 12, nicely placed. So if you're in doubt, go into the business plan on the Prince's Trust, navigate to that, and just dip into it and read it over time and start getting a sense of, of how to put one together. But mm. I would say, yes, have a business plan, right? But business plans need to be revised when circumstances change and they need to be looked at. Yeah. Are we still on track to this? Right? Interesting. Because, uh, you know, and, and, and it's interesting that you brought up the point was a business plan is needed when you need to raise finance. Absolutely, 100% agree, especially if you're going after an investor or a VC or whatever it might be. And then if there's a change in circumstances, <clears throat> I would agree with that as well. And interestingly enough, though, um, because you were talking about some interesting stats back at the beginning of the interview about how there's still a large percentage of businesses that still fail with the business plan. But why have you had any um, have you done any research as to why they really fail? Was it because of uh, yeah. I don't know, lack of innovation or whatever it is? What, what have uh, you found there? I guess it's I wish I again, I wish I could say it's my research, but it's not. Firstly, no. you've got the I think it's called the Houses of Parliament business statistics. If you're a business owner, go onto the Houses of Parliament and look up business statistics report. They put it out every every December, about December 16, right? Sure. And it tells us what's happening in the UK. So that's the first thing. So a lot of times you're coming up with a plan that doesn't fit the context of the UK. Now, I've given you a context. 70% of UK businesses have revenues less than 300,000, right? 20% right. have revenues 300,000 to 2 mil, right? Mm. But banks also give us really good research as well. And I think there's two things they say. Number one, the sense is they rushed it. So you think, ah, oh, yeah, I just got to... I've just got to impress somebody. I'll rush through this. There's, so there's a lack of thinking in it, right? And I would say the number one thing where dragons in, when they fail on the dragons in, and when banks won't lend money, right? The banks have money to lend, trust me. But why they won't lend money is because the business case is not supported. And the business case is really the financial argument that makes sense. So you can say, I'm going to do X, Y, Z. My, here's my revenue target. But you haven't demonstrated how you're going to achieve that in a realistic way. So they don't even stress test the business case. And I love the fact that you use the word stress testing because back in 2008, when they had the financial crisis with the banks and stuff, and they yeah. didn't do the stress testing, no. you know, and then you're endorsing stress testing, even for like the, the tiny, the tiny SME business as such to the multinational yeah. clients, which is, which is really fascinating. I think that's a really good point that you made there. Look at it this way, mate. If you borrow, let's say you borrow 25,000, the, the average lend in the UK is about 37 
thousand. The lowest lien is about thirty. Average thirty seven thousand, right? Right, right. Let's say you start a business and twelve months later that business fails. Mm -hmm. Now, how did you get that loan? You probably secured it against your property, right? Collateral. So you've added nearly forty grand onto your mortgage, for example, right? And it's non recoverable. So when the business fails, everything goes. And you, but what doesn't go is the debt unless you declare bankrupt, right? Yep, yep. So, you know, I know business, most, most entrepreneurs will raise about 80 grand. I'll go through about 80 grand. It's pollen, not COVID. They'll <laughs> raise about 80 grand for that. If the business fails and you've got that on your credit rating, you've got that on your, on your finance history, sure, sure. right? So don't rush it. You know, go through, do stuff like if it's important and do it, then go do the planning stuff. Go to the Princess Trust, look mm. at the plan. And, and if you don't understand them, if you don't understand numbers, go and see an accountant. If you don't understand social media, go and talk to someone. If you don't understand Instagram, hire an Instagram expert. If you don't know how to build websites, go and get someone who does this really, really well. But, but you said a, a good thing. Do your due diligence. Yeah. Absolutely. And 100%. Listen, guys, I hope you're enjoying today's show, by the way. By the way, what is your what is the book that you had with the stress testing of remind us, uh, remind the listeners yeah. again? Yeah, it's called Starting. Starting. Cool. Yeah, yeah. And that's and on Amazon? That's on Amazon. Yeah. And, and look, this is about this is a book about strategy, right? So stress test the assumptions. Basically, it's stress test your business has I'm talking to you now right? Your business has assumptions. If you're running a business, there's a whole bunch of assumptions underneath it. What are they? And, you know, this gives you a structure to look at key areas as an investor, mm -hmm. stress test from those key areas and yep. other things will show up. My other book, Manage and Multiply Money, is just how to manage the money part, right? And look, I also did the money chimp, but I remember that. That's the bestseller one. This one was for millennials. So if you're a millennial and you want to manage your money, that's a good one. If you're a professional, don't buy both because I repurposed a lot of this content for professionals, whereas this is really with millennials in mind. So don't buy both because you'll go, oh, it's the same book. It is pretty much the same book. <laughs> well, at least he's honest there, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But listen, no, no, buy on. both. Buy both. You'll love both. them. Because just, just, you're going to have to read it twice anyway. And anyway, they'll do a bundle deal on Amazon, so don't worry yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, that's so, right. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so listen, guys, hope you've enjoyed today's show. We've, there's so many great golden nuggets that you should have listened to. What I would endorse you to do if you're in the gym or you listen to this in your car is to go back to this, get your notebooks and pens and paper handy, write down all of the things that Andrew has been teaching you and what we've been going through and stuff like that. And, and listen to it with stakeholders. So if, you're a two, if you've got a business <laughs> partner or you've got your team or managers, listen yep. to it as a team and stop the recording and when you get an idea and stop it and workshop it really talk it through you know build some this recording is a really good lunch and learn tool so you can actually do it over lunch and then just listen to it over a few days absolutely it's more of a helicopter ride over a business i've tried to give you right yeah yeah what what's the context for business and and i've tried to include as much really valuable stuff that's relevant to people right now yeah. great synopsis and 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 just want to say thank you so much for being on the show hope you've enjoyed it Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> so good. So listen, guys, hope you've enjoyed today's show. Do me a favor. If you're listening to this on Apple, do me a favor and write, whether it be a one-star or five-star review, please do me a favor and go onto there and just leave a quick review on there. It could be based around Andrew's show, for example, or it could be at any of our episodes or whatever it is, but we'll see you on the next Game Changers Experience show. Take care. Yeah. See you soon. Bye-bye. Hey, you guys, I just want to say thank you so much 
for listening in to this episode of the Game Changers Experience. I hope that you got some amazing value, some great insights and golden nuggets that you can implement into your business straight away. I would really, really appreciate it if you could leave a five-star review on the button below. Have a fantastic day and we'll see you on the next episode. Take care.